Well, we're going to get started this morning. We're going to talk about a Savior was promised. Um, last week we looked at that the Savior had come, but we're going to kind of backtrack just a little bit. Um, it's It was kind of difficult to, um, you know, have a shorter message last week that would be good for those that we were that we're going to hear it outside of our service so I'm maybe slightly out of order but hey it's Christmas right so uh, we're going to work on that um, as we do that we're going to spend this week and next week looking into uh, Luke chapter 2 and today we'll mainly consider the proclamation of the angel uh, of the angel of the Lord as as uh, he addressed the shepherds but before we do that I'd like to read just a portion of the account in Luke 2 and that's uh Uh, Luke uh, 2, verses 8 through 12. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you, this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now again, we know this story well, Uh, hopefully you do. But what I want to do today, as I said, is, is just kind of look at this proclamation that the angels gave. But before we do that, or as we do that, uh, this message, this promise was revealed to the shepherds at work, right? They, they were on the job. Looking at something that we just read, but I want you to see this, Luke 2, 8 and 9. Now, they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, Right? So here's where they were, and God came to them right where they were. The angels appeared to the shepherds who were tending their flocks out on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Now, shepherding was a necessary profession in ancient times. Um, We don't necessarily, there's still plenty of countries that do it. Our country, we don't necessarily have people that guide sheep, you know, 24-7 around the countryside. Sheep need to eat. They need to be led to water. They need to be protected. Now, we've kind of romanticized and uh, sanitized this idea of being a shepherd. Uh, Mike Rowe would have had them featured on Dirty Jobs, okay? Um, They were constantly in the elements, and they were also responsible for the birthing of the sheep, for healing them, taking care of their wounds, and for rescuing the sheep when they got into all kinds of terrible situations, but I also want us to take a little bit of attention to the shepherds. R.C. Sproul had something very interesting that he said about shepherds. And I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't know this even before this week's study, but it says the shepherds of Palestine were considered to be the lowest class of people. Now, please understand, I knew that this was not like, you know, oh, I want to be a shepherd when I grow up, but I didn't realize it was quite this bad. He goes on to say the nature of their calling prohibited them from frequent participation in the religious rituals of the day. You can understand, right? And they were discriminated against with respect to the courts, for a shepherd was not permitted to give testimony. They were considered to be unscrupulous. It means that they weren't nice. And untrustworthy, that their testimony was of little value. 
Although their contemporary society hated them, it seems that they held a special place in the heart of God. And when you think of that, God declared the birth of the Messiah to a small bunch of shepherds. Let's think about this heritage for a minute of God-loving shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all shepherds, our patriarchs, right? Moses was called to lead God's people while doing what? Tending sheep. David was called from his shepherding post to be anointed as king over Israel. God revealed his message to the prophet Amos while he tended sheep in Tekoa. And Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. So as you think about these shepherds again, they, they were camped out with their sheep, watching out for their safety during the night. Many believed they were tending sheep uh, uh, that were being raised as sacrifices at the temple in nearby Jerusalem. Estimates say these fields were about five miles from Jerusalem. So think about this. The birth of the Lamb of God was made to those who tended the sheep destined for sacrifice. The sacrifices pointed to the coming of Christ, to the coming of the chosen one. And Jesus would fulfill the purpose of those lambs and sheep by giving himself as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins on the cross. I mean, that's kind of amazing. So now getting back to this scene again with the angel and the shepherds, the English says that they were greatly afraid. The Greek gives the idea that these guys were terrified right? Uh, sometimes it's difficult to translate over into English, and even when we write the English out, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Scripture, but, but it was much more descriptive than that. These guys were terrified. They were scared out of their sandals, right? Imagine yourself tending sheep in the darkness when suddenly this brilliant, angelic creature appears in front of you, and he appeared in front of them, right, with the glory of God around them. With all of our movie special effects that we have today, nothing could have compared to this. All right? this, this would have been an amazing sight. But when we think about it, how might the angel's pronouncement look like today? Now, allow me a little bit of liberty since we live in a different world than the ancient world of Mary and Joseph. And I'm, I'm going to use a contemporary example to help us understand the pronouncement of the angelic herald that the king of kings has been born. I mean, that's what happened here, right? Now, please understand, I'm not trying to be like cute or outrageous or anything. I'm really trying to just bring this kind of into everyday life. We're also going to make this personal. So you were one of the several overnight security guards at a large warehouse facility just outside of town. You have met up with, uh, met up together with all the other ones after doing your rounds. Suddenly, an angel is standing uh, in front of you and the presence of the glory of God is beaming all around him. Right? Again, no less shocking today than in that, those ancient days. You are scared speechless. I mean, this is an amazing spectacle that you were seeing just with this angel. With your jaws hanging open, you listen to God's messenger. The angel tells you that the Savior, the long-awaited chosen one, the Messiah has come. Yes! He has been born. His mother gave birth to him, 
in the bathroom of a gas station downtown. They wrapped him with shop towels to keep him warm. You'll find him sleeping in the well of a spare drink cooler at the gas station. Can you picture us treating our modern nativity scene like we do our traditional ones? Look at my new Speedway nativity set. It has Joseph and Mary and Jesus lying in the Coke cooler. Now think about it. Now is that example any humbler than, listen to this, he's with farm animals wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a feeding trough. That's the scene that we're talking about. For the King of kings and Lord of lords, for God himself come in the flesh. From a human perspective, the birthplace of Jesus was a crazy scene. Who would have ever thought of that? It was about as lowly a location as possible. Again, this is the king, the king of all kings who has come. But let's move on to the proclamation itself. The proclamation of a promise fulfilled. We're now going to consider what the angel told the shepherds, and we'll be looking at a lot of supporting scriptures. But I, I think these reminders will be uh, good ways to connect us uh, to, to how great of an event this is. I think it's going to be a very good encouragement for you. Before we do that, though, I do want to just remind us again from Luke 2 of just a couple of verses here. Luke 2, starting at verse 10, it says, And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The first thing I want to think of as we think of this promise fulfilled is that Jesus Christ was born of promise. I want to remind ourselves of several covenants God made with men focusing on one aspect that they all have in common. That common aspect is the promised seed. There was a promise to Abraham, and again, we're going to go through these as, as we just kind of read down through some of these. In Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 through 18, it says this. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing. And this was when he had sacrificed his own son, Isaac, right? And God stayed his hand. He says, Since you've done this own thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. This was repeated to Isaac in Genesis 26, verses 3 through 5. Dwell in Egypt, and I will be with you and bless you, for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply on the earth as, as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. It was repeated again also to Jacob. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 28, 
I want to read for you beginning in verse 11 in Genesis 28. Jacob's returning back to the promised land, and uh, God uh, obviously interacts with him. And it says here, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it on his head, uh, at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Again, an amazing scene, right? And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Let's continue for one more verse. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken. God didn't stop with just our patriarchs, with those who were in the very beginning, obviously, of, of God creating his nation. But he also made this promise to David. A couple of passages I want us to look at is uh, 2 Samuel 7, verses uh, 12 and 13, and then we're just going to skip to 16. They're all up here on the screen. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set your seed after you. You will come. He will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now that's speaking primarily of Solomon. But it says, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Could Solomon himself establish a forever throne? Absolutely not. Then I want to read a portion of what we saw in, in uh, Psalm 89. Really a prophetic psalm. My covenant will not break, nor after the word that has gone out from my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever. And his throne as the sun like the moon uh, sorry, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the, the sky. And then there's one more. As we think of this, though, this is the promise of a new covenant with God's people, isn't it? He's talking about what's coming ahead. He's talking about something he's going to establish forever. And then we see that illustrated in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 24 through 26. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. Now, I've got to pause here. This is Ezekiel. Is David alive? No. He's speaking of one who is going to come to fulfill the covenant with David. So I'll read it again. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall all also walk in my judgment and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. 
I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. So this is an amazing promise that God makes. A forever covenant, something that's, that's coming ahead that Jesus Christ would fulfill. But he was born of promise. There were promises made to people, real, tangible things that God said he would do, that he proved out by the land that they had, by the blessings that God gave to them, and by their offspring. And ultimately, that offspring would be Jesus. So his birth fulfilled that. The next thing is that he was born of a woman, specifically a virgin. And the promised seed or offspring was now to come, right? This is when he was going to arrive. And we see that the Lord has planned this from the beginning. Again, we're looking at scripture to relate to these pronouncements that, that uh, the, the, the angel gave to them, the, the things related to this. The first one is Genesis 3.15. As, as part of the curse of the serpent, right? This is what's mentioned. And I will put enmity. You're, you're going to have conflict, right? Between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we see the seed here is singular, he, beginning the concept of the Messiah or the chosen one. Not, not just this, this kind of, you know, nebulous, you know, like, like what he said with Abraham. You know, you're going to have descendants of the sand of the seashore. No, there was going to be a he, an individual that would eventually come from woman that was going to crush Satan. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear you a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know that that means God with us. The direct prophecy that a virgin will conceive and bear a son is revealed here, which again is exactly what took place, what the, what the, um, uh, the angels heralded to these shepherds. I want to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 35, Luke chapter 1. So if you happen to be around Luke 2 there, you can just turn back a page. If not, you'll see that that is in page 885 in your um, uh, pew Bibles. And I'll begin reading for you in verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I have not known a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, obviously, in that passage, there's some other things that we see tied into what we've already established. But right here, we see not only that a virgin would conceive, but even how that would be made possible. And the Son that would come forth would be God the Son himself. Um, just, just some amazing thoughts here. And then Luke chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. We've already read this, but it says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and Mary brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. 
course, this is the gospel account of Christ's birth. Mary would conceive through the Holy Spirit, right? Not Joseph. Mary would not conceive through Joseph. And Jesus is called her son, her firstborn, not Joseph's. Then lastly, something that just tells it plainly like it is, it's Paul's concise summary of the new covenant in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So Christ came with all kinds of promises, but Christ also came through a woman. Not through a human man, but through a woman. Just as God said. Something that is impossible apart from him. Could not happen. Unless God was the one who intervened and done something about that. So the idea that this was unbelievable in some ways, right, to, to those who heard Jesus and, and saw Jesus and everything, you know, that's, that's not completely, you know, you can understand why. But at the same time, there were prophecies about it. It was foretold. They should have known. Actually, they did know, but they rejected him. Their pronouncement also really indicated that Jesus was born a king. Let's look first at the lineage of Jesus. There's this legal lineage, which we see in a couple of passages, Luke chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And then in Matthew chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham, you see those there. So as we think about this, even this passage here, look at what it says, just kind of hinting back to born of a woman. Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom, right, meaning Mary, was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. So even in this genealogy, there's a clarification that's made. So we have the legal lineage of Jesus. I also want to look at the physical lineage of Jesus. First, let me say that Jesus' legal lineage's lineage, right, his, his descendancy, seems to satisfy the Jewish requirements to be a descendant of David. But I want to build an argument for the physical lineage of Jesus through his mother Mary. Going back to Luke chapter 1, Again, it says, now the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Folks, this seems to really indicate to me that the house of David is speaking of Mary, not Joseph. Mary is the subject of this. And depending on how, you know, modern translations or whatever, kind of how they they put these things together, there seems to be an indication that it was speaking of Mary. Now, this language is difficult, okay? It's coming from an ancient language, and sometimes they're not sure if they can be definite about this. 
But I believe that there's, there's some uh, uh, substance to this. There are also those who believe, strongly believe that Mary was in, was in the lineage of David. First, it was common to marry someone from the same tribe. Okay? So to marry someone from the same tribe was not something that was uncommon. They, they, they kind of stayed within their tribe. But also there is, a, there is a, a verse that we have to really contend with, so to speak, when we're talking about the fact that this lineage had to come through Mary's side. And that's Psalm 132.11. The Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. He will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. Okay, what does fruit of your body mean? Right, someone born. For Joseph, it was not the fruit of his body. It was the fruit of Mary's body. Now, what we can't do, even though there's a little bit of tension here, right? We can't say, well, because the Bible says that, then that means that all this is true, right? We, we can't do that either, okay? But work with me, continue with me for just a moment here. Luke 3.23 says this, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, as, he, as, as was supposed, as he was being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, or another way of saying that is Eli. Some believe the genealogy in Matthew represents the lineage of Joseph, and the, and the genealogy in Luke represents the lineage of Mary. So, so Luke lists Joseph as the supposed father of Jesus, right? This comes right out and says that. He's the supposed father. See, it was common for women not to have a recorded lineage. Joseph, scholars believe, is inserted to make it official. But Heli, or Eli, was his father-in-law, Mary's father. That's why you have two represented there. Jacob back in uh, Matthew's gospel, and now Eli in Luke's gospel. So what they did was, is they simply inserted Joseph here. He's the son, he's the son-in-law, to Mary's father, because they couldn't list Mary in the lineage. It just wasn't how they did things. Now, there are other arguments that may support Mary's royal lineage, um, uh, some of it goes into Jewish tradition that was written at the time and things like that. Even the Jews, right, who hated Jesus, wrote about him, and some of it was accurate. Some of it was blasphemous, frankly, but some of it was accurate. But I don't want to get into all that. What I prefer to do is consider the multiple arguments as a whole and conclude this in, in three different ways. First, I don't think we can dogmatically say that the Bible declares Mary as of the house and lineage of David. I mean, we, we can't just, it doesn't come out and say that directly. Second, it is possible that Mary's lineage is assumed after her husband's lineage is established. In other words, okay, we have, we have Joseph as the head of the household. We have his lineage established. But then we have these underindications that Mary's lineage is here as well. But third, and I, I tend to believe that there is more than one reasonable argument for Mary's lineage, her royal lineage. There is also no argument against Mary descending from David. 
In other words, there isn't any scriptures that are saying that she didn't. Now, that's a very poor argument. But I'm just saying when you take all of that, I believe that what it's telling us is that there is, there is a, a very strong indication that Mary was also a descendant of David. So I'm going from scripture. Traditionally, you have probably heard that already. You've probably been taught that, okay? But I'm going straight from scripture and saying, you know, there, there's some pretty strong indications here. And if you kind of take all of them and, and consider them, I really believe that the scriptures, even though they don't come right out and say it, they're basically telling us Joseph was of the house and lineage of David and Mary was too. All right? So just to keep that in mind. So that goes back again to the fact that he's, he's, he's a king, right? He's royal. But there was also the location where he was born. Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Okay, Bethlehem, prior to it being called Bethlehem, was called Ephrath. Okay? And I also believe that it was possibly the name of the region around there. But regardless of that, this was to help everybody understand that this was the specific Bethlehem of David. Right? Um, Mag and I used to live right near Rochester, Michigan. There's Rochesters all over the country. And I used to tell people, yeah, I'm from Rochester, Minnesota, New York, no, Michigan, right? You know, so you have to qualify that. Well, that's what the scriptures are doing here. This is being qualified because this is the royal city. Now, I understand Jerusalem is where he reigned, but this is where he came from, right? That's why uh, uh, Joseph had to go back here for the taxation, right? Joseph... Luke 2, 4 and 5, Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So there's his royal lineage. Then there is the location, born in the city of David. So Joseph and Mary were there to be taxed because they were of the lineage of David. So all of this tells us that yeah, he was born, but he was also that king that was to be born. And then lastly, the angel said that he was a savior. Jesus was born a savior. We're just going to look at a couple of passages here. Uh, the first one is going to kind of lead us to the second one, but it's too big. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 49.1 says, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name. And then it goes on in verses 5 and 6. And, you know, we're talking about prophecy here, so sometimes there's other things mixed in, but, but here we go. Verses 5 and 6, And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. So that Israel is gathered to him, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. Now, let me pause here for a second. What he's saying is this. Okay, it's really not enough for you to come into the world, right, and, and just save Israel. That's what he's saying. So what does he say? I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles 
that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Man, this is, again, talking about the new covenant that Christ was going to be introducing. This is what he's going to be bringing. And then we come back again to Luke chapter 2. We've read this portion of this, but I want to keep this fresh in our minds as we consider this. So in Luke 2, begin with me in verse 25. I need to get there myself. Luke 2, beginning in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And am I in Luke 2? Yeah, I am. Sorry. We did not read this before. And behold, there was a man uh, in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It, let's just pause here. He's waiting for what? The consolation of Israel. What did we just read about? You know, consoling, the, the hope, what, what, what was to come. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. But he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the, chi- the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Wow, man. Folks, he he came for his people. I mean, we know that. He said that in his public ministry. But his reach was going to go worldwide. His message is designed to be given to all people. So in this proclamation, this this very pregnant statement, it's chock full of all of these things that, that the angels gave to these shepherds who were just overwhelmed, right? What can we take from all this today? First of all, the angels' announced, announcement of the birth of Christ included proclaiming exactly who he was, right? He's the Savior who's going to come. God revealed the coming of Christ over thousands of years. That's what we looked at. I mean, even from Genesis, there was this part in there that said he, right? An individual is going to crush Satan. There are many prophecies and types of Christ in the Old Testament. We have looked at the very obvious ones related to his coming and how Jesus fulfilled them. God wanted us to have a sure record of exactly who Jesus is. He he didn't want his people to miss it. And we know based upon these verses that we have looked at as far as him as the coming Savior, he didn't want the world to miss it. So maybe for some of us, could be our age, it could just be, you know, our, our, our background in the church or whatever. Some of this is new. Or maybe all of this has just hopefully been an encouraging reminder. Either way, we have a glorious, awesome Savior to celebrate. I mean, look at, look at all of these things that, again, were just packed into the message. Do you think that there was a point where... The, the, um, the shepherds kind of got over this, this amazing scene that they were involved in 
And the message started to sink in, right? Where it's like, you know, oh my goodness, you know, there's this glorious being in front of us and, and they might not have been able to articulate it, but there's a, the glory of the Lord is just, I don't know, swirling, whatever, all around him. And then it's like, wait a minute, what did he say? <laughs> what is he telling us? In the middle of the night, just these, these shepherds that don't mean anything, we're outcasts, and we're getting this glorious message, this royal decree that the king has come, that the child that we've been waiting for, and it's not like they wouldn't have known about it, right? At some point, it clicked. They understood what the angel was telling them. So maybe for someone today, this is the day that God has worked in your heart. And it's clicked. You've considered the birth of Jesus. And you've considered all that it was about. And God is working in you and you say, even for the first time, I believe he's the Christ. I believe he is the chosen one. I believe that he's the one that came to this earth to die on the cross for my sins. I mean, who else could this be? Because God declared him so clearly, so plainly. So folks, as we just consider these things, as we consider all that God has done for us, packed into this proclamation, I pray that if you do see who the Christ is this morning and never had before, that you'll respond to him in faith, that you'll trust him as your savior. If, if you need just a little bit of help with that, you can talk about that. Uh, certainly I'm available for that and many others in this church are. So I want to encourage you in that. But folks, if you're a believer this morning, and I, I would just hazard a guess that many of you are, right? Boy, we have a lot to celebrate. It's, it's something kind of like the nativity scene, right? We, we've kind of romanticized it and things. And, but man, when you kind of look at it in its, in its reality, and I'm making a contrast here now, the nativity scene was pretty rough. But when we think of the glory of the coming Messiah, not, not in the state that he came in, but in the announcement Again, it validates who he was. There was nothing about his birth, okay, except for all the facts behind it, as far as just the circumstances, right? You got this, this, this kid that was born in, in a stable, right? In some, some barn or something like that, or maybe a cave. And, and he's lying in this trough. That's not how kings were born. We know that. You've heard this before. But what I'm trying to say is, the pronouncement, that is what validated who he was and all that it represents. All that it represents. All those prophecies, they come down to that pinpoint of where an angel could just say a few lines and it said it all. It encompassed everything that was said about Jesus and his birth. And here he is. The only ones that were directly told Right. Besides, again, we, we have the, the, the account of Simeon came a little bit later. Right. As far as interacting with Jesus, the only ones that were directly told at that time were, were these 
these guys doing the night shift out in the hills around Bethlehem. What a privilege. Folks, we have that account. What a privilege that we can know who Jesus is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have really gone over a, a number of scriptures, all of them again have just compressed down to a beautiful few lines of one of your messengers. This message was not just to the shepherds. It was recorded so that we would all hear it. Heavenly Father, we thank you as those who have trusted you as Savior that we have heard. I think of the song of hearing the joyful noise, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Lord, I pray that there's someone here who still needs to hear that message. That even as Jesus said, they would have ears to hear today. That, Lord, you would just penetrate their hearts with the truth. That just like these shepherds, they would be overwhelmed with the message. That it not just be tradition, and that it not be something that we kind of take for granted every year and we think of, you know, presents and trees and different things like that, but that we would be overwhelmed understanding that really right now we are in your presence. You are everywhere at all times. And yet somehow in some way, God became a man. The God-man was born, grew up very similar to us without sin, and laid his life down for us. We celebrate your gift. We celebrate your sacrifice. We celebrate this great message of love to us. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.